0: Welcome to Lean Back, a feminist podcast on politics and culture. I'm Lisa Corrigan. I'm Laura Wiederhaft. And we're broadcasting from Arkansas, where we are going to talk about the changing role of women in the culture, about how uh, women as a community can build stronger cultures, um, and how Sheryl Sandberg's book, Lean In, has been a tremendous uh, cultural force that we find extremely problematic. But first, let's start with some introductions. Laura, do you want to go first? Gladly. So,
1: I'm a recent college graduate, and like most college graduates my age, I'm chronically underemployed. Uh, since graduating, I've worked as a teaching assistant, a substitute teacher, I've been a bartender and a server, and for a moment, I did administrative work for the biggest company in the world, Walmart. And as we talk about lean back and the subjects in the purview of this podcast, uh, it will become clear why that job didn't exactly work for me. But I also think I've been spending my time well since I've graduated. I've done a lot of traveling. I regularly perform stand-up comedy in Fayetteville and in neighboring cities. I helped found a startup to connect businesses with local freelancers. And I'm also a feminist. That's why I'm happy to be doing this podcast with you. Do you want to introduce
0: yourself? So I'm Lisa Corrigan, and I'm a professor of communication and gender studies. Um, I write about race and social movements and teach about politics and culture. Um, I'm a mother and a sort of recent transplant to the American South. Um, I do a lot of social justice work here and elsewhere in the country, and I'm happy to be here with you, Laura. Likewise. So let's talk
1: a little bit about why we're doing this podcast. Um, Maybe it's good to start out by talking about what it is about Lean In that's problematic to us.
0: Well, you know, when when Lean In came out, I started ranting all over the interwebs about women buying into Sandberg's book, and I started hashtagging lean back, and you and I started playing with that a lot, especially on Facebook, as a way of rejecting Sandberg's idea that in the workplace, women should just lean into corporate culture and just work harder and stay later. Um, even while she acknowledged the tremendous inequities that shape women's experiences in the workplace and shape them unequally, in my mind, based on race and class. That's, that's, that's not really something that Sandberg talks about with any nuance whatsoever. And so we started talking a lot about leaning back from corporate culture and leaning back from corporate feminism uh, and leaning back from the kind of classic blame the victim mentality that's perpetuated by the insularity of the one percenters and their whiteness and their bourgeois ideas about culture and about what I thought was an extremely detrimental um, profiteering intervention into the landscape of women in politics and work uh, in the 21st century. And Laura, why don't you talk a little bit about how you started playing with the ideas of leaning in and leaning back. So.
1: My program of study in college was economics, and mainstream economics, as it's taught here at least, is pretty limited. Uh, My bachelor's degree in economics dealt much more with the question of growing the pie rather than with how the pie should be allocated fairly and humanely. And the models and theories seem so distanced from human well-being and even human rights. I understand that capitalism succeeded at lifting a lot of people out of poverty but the system is failing a lot of people right now and that notion is beginning to gain traction especially in the last few years um, in no small part because of radical anti-capitalist activists I just felt that the subject lacked nuance and valorized self-interest over public good and The improvement in quality of life has been quantified. It's about money and belongings. Yeah, capitalism has raised global median household income, but is that the measure we should be using for quality of life? Lean In raises the same uh, kinds of questions for me. Is working harder to advance at your job good advice for women? I mean, why do you want to advance in the first place? for power, status, to accumulate stuff? And doesn't this strategy disproportionately favor certain women? And of course I was first exposed to Lean In while doing administrative work at the Walmart home office. And I just noticed that Lean In was placing more stress on women who are already working long hours. It just appeared to me to present more problems for women than anything. So we began talking about leaning back. We started talking, and, and it began as just like a fun, just like anti lean in. But lean back, I think, as we talked about it more, began to like take on a greater meaning for us. Yeah.
0: Well, I remember I had been listening to a bunch of Remy Ma and Terror Squad and their music, and there's a great line um, that we're too cool to dance. And I remember talking to you, and I was like, that's right, we're too cool to dance, because dancing requires a male lead, it, it requires a conformity to style or form, but I liked lean back because I'm like, we're too cool to dance with the patriarchy insofar as we can undermine it rather than accommodate it. And I just remember us talking so much in the early days about why being too cool to dance meant not dancing with racism or white supremacy or sexism or heterosexism or homophobia or ableism, um, and how the co-optation of feminism as a label for Sandberg's book was really troubling to us. I also remember, I don't know if you remember this, but I think I shared with you Vanessa Garcia's great piece in the Huff... Huffington Post blog section where she wrote Why I Won't Lean In. Mm-hmm. And that was in like 2013. So, I mean, yeah. it's been a while that we've been having this conversation. And I love that piece because, you know, you and I both were on the same page that it's not a critique of Sandberg per se. She has a lot of great data and, and lean in in the books that came out subsequently about inequality in the workplace and pay, the pay gap, wage gap, especially. But in terms for prescriptions, her like self help manual for how women can overcome that structural inequality. I mean that's just a super fail. So then if you'll recall you and I started doing some digging and reading some other pieces that were really, really critical of corporate feminism, which has been white and upwardly mobile and fraught with pleasers. And, you know, the kind of archetype of the pleasing female, um, that corporate feminism has been resistance to social justice goals and inarticulate about class warfare and silent about white supremacist violence and generally hostile to social transformation and sort of queering workplaces. Um, and I think the thing that most resounded with us was Bell Hooks' piece. Do you remember reading her point about Sheryl Sandberg's Lean In? Mm-hmm. She, was, she wrote, um, it would be more in keeping with this image to call her brand of women's liberation faux feminism. A billionaire, one of the richest women in the world, Sandberg, deflects attention from this reality. To personify it might raise critical questions. It might even have created the conditions for other women to feel threatened by her success. She solves that problem by never speaking of money in lean-in. She uses the word... Once, I think it's important to say that Sandberg definitely
1: is addressing a real problem, and the fact that that problem is receiving more attention is great. But I also think that the fact that she offers this solution, which is unrealistic and tone deaf, and just like bad advice in general. Like, multiple studies have shown that Romanian is actually, for the narrow set of people... To whom it applies. To whom it applies. It actually doesn't even work. I mean, multiple studies have shown that it's actually... It sets people back. Like, women who negotiate or, like, begin negotiations are actually penalized rather than rewarded for negotiating. So... For the narrow set of people to which, like, the advice of lean in could possibly apply, and to the narrow goal that it purports yeah. to address, um, it doesn't even work. No. And beyond that, you know, it's racist. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's
0: massively racist and classist right. and ableist and. But even for women
1: who have privilege and who are already under like the weight of a lot of expectations, the weight of modern life, it, like, introduces a new expectation, which is even more difficult, you know. It asks women to work harder than they're already working. And another piece, I think Rosa Brooks with the Washington Post says that lean-in is ruining life for the rest of us because, you know, if there weren't enough challenges to raising a family and living in (laughs) A really constricted set of parameters like going to work, earning money, you know, raising a family, having a husband, having doing a nice sec- wedding. Doing the second shift of labor after work. Yeah, absolutely. Then it's like <laughs> uh, There's more. Hey, here's some more work you can do. Yeah, you're not trying hard enough actually. That's why you're not getting ahead of work. Do
0: better. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I just find, you know, I'm I'm going to rant through this whole season about what I think is problematic about the framing of her suggestions, but the fact that the introduction of her book is internalizing the revolution is super offensive. I mean, here is the the chief operating officer of Facebook who is a billionaire white woman trying to talk about being revolutionary in the workplace, and then also follows that up with a disclaimer that the book itself is not a feminist manifesto, but then using the word feminism to sell it as this sort of chic fourth wave or post-feminist product is really gross, especially because it idolizes the corporate corner office and this sort of high-power career that becomes and is often totally unattainable as an object for lots of women. I think that the book opens up definitions of success that are tremendously difficult for most of America to achieve with the tremendous divestments of social services, public education, domestic investment, and domestic corporations. I mean, it's like she just doesn't have to deal with history as an agent at all. She doesn't have to think about how the economy has shifted and how that's influenced the role of women in the workplace. She doesn't have to think about the way in which the economic crash of 07 and 08 completely gutted the baby boomers' Um, you know, retirement accounts, especially those who were single women. She doesn't have to think about how to pay for college, for a family uh, of four. I mean, it's all of these practical, everyday considerations, from the price of gas and groceries, to college, to employment, to, to wage stagnation. No, it doesn't matter. She doesn't have to talk about any of those things as, you know, as actual outcomes of the kinds of things that she's suggesting as solutions. So, you know, I, I just find that problematic. Have you ever sort of idealized that sort of corporate, you know, corner office mentality? Is that something you've ever been drawn toward, Laura?
1: I mean, there's something immediately appealing about it. There's something about the corner office metaphor that connotes respect and influence and being appreciated for your work not to mention well-compensated. So it would definitely be dishonest to say that those things uh, that presumably accompany the corner office don't appeal to me in some way. But it's an illusion. It's an illusion, you know? Uh, When you really think about it, that desire was constructed for me by the popular narratives of success and achievement. The things that I say I want, happiness, comfort, a uh, positive rapport with other people. Um, they're all tied into this notion of the corner office. Uh, those things are supposed to come with mainstream success. Now I think I've separated what it is that I really want from that narrative of traditional success uh, and careerism and the accumulation of wealth. I mean, I thought I wanted power and, for people to listen to me but what I actually wanted was intimacy I mean the corner office is not the only way to achieve I mean it's the most obvious and it's the one that gets the most attention in the media and in like public education I mean having a, a career like careerism is how everything is structured now it's a religion you're asked how you know what do you want to be when you grow up I'm asked constantly like what I'm doing with my, where do I want to be in five years? (laughs) And I'm like, well, I can't give you a direct answer. I can tell you the things that I want, Mm -hmm. you know, strong friendships. Meaningful labor. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Meaningful labor and the possibility of occasionally traveling, minimal stress. Mm -hmm. I just think that those needs can be satisfied in other ways and going about it in this like success-driven way is hurting a lot of people.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, I wanted to like Lean In, simply for the fact that there is not enough public discourse about things like flexible parental leave, and elder care, and you know, support for women in the workplace or sexual harassment or discrimination or, you know, all of these sorts of daily battles that are, you know, exponentially more difficult for women of color, queer women. But the part that I find so devastating is the part where she suggests throughout the book that the real problem is not these external factors that are historical and political and intentional as economic shifts uh, in the marketplace, but that somehow the problem that women are not succeeding in the workplace is due because of barriers that exist within women. And that's the blaming the victim part that I think is ridiculous, and it can't be fixed by a self-help book from a billionaire. It's not like she got to the top because she did all of these things. It's only interesting because she's the only one at the top at Facebook. And so I'm with you. I mean, you know, I have a professional career and it's established and, you know, I worked really hard for it, but I have never been driven by the money. I'm a teacher, (laughs) so that's not a consideration. There's no time off. It seems like that's other people, but I work 80-hour weeks and I have since I was basically 16 years old. Uh, I'm interested in social transformation and I agree with Bell Hooks that lean in is not a place for social transformation it's certainly not a place where there's solidarity built among women and certainly different kinds of women and i think that the podcast is a good forum for us to think through critiques of this kind of culture and the way that it permeates aspects of our our lives in lots and lots of ways inside and outside of the workplace. So I'm excited really to talk about these issues with you and think through why leaning back becomes a different kind of critical lens or a different kind of optic or a different kind of relationship to corporate feminism and the idea that women should work harder and push themselves harder. And if they just acted more like men, somehow they would get rewarded. Because we all know, all kinds of women who work so hard in the workplace and at home and are punished for being hard workers and are punished with more work and less pay. And the fact that we all know those women or we are those women st- strikes me as being extremely important in understanding why lean-in is such a devastating concept. The other thing that I'll say is that I also think that it's really... Uh, striking that that corporate men love this book so much. And just as we were sitting down to record this, I got a note in my inbox asking me about a friend who is an accountant. And she said, well, you know, we um, don't have any female partners, and the male partners are getting very concerned because they're getting heat from their EEO office about why there are no women at the top, so how can we increase women at the top? And um, that question happens in, in man boardrooms all across the. Like if we just had one, then we wouldn't have to listen to the complaining. Like, how do we get a qualified woman? As if they're not constantly surrounded by qualified women who are who are hurting themselves and their and they're hurting their own health by by doing this leaning and by by working harder and sacrificing their health and the integrity of their families and their. And their lives to what is, I think, a specious sort of goal. So I guess we should talk a little bit about about more more specifically about what lean back means to us, Laura, as a, a form of feminist practice. Like what when you think about leaning back, what does that mean to you? I mean, to me, I think
1: it is seeing other possibilities. It's rejecting that narrow and damaging narrative of success and knowing that there are other possibilities, but it's also rejecting the fact that there's obvious uh, sexism in the workplace. It's not a a thing that's like, well, I can just work harder and push through that and come out ahead. It's like a way to step back and say, no, actually I'm going to call it out or I'm going to work to change this. So it's, first of all, like having visibility, most importantly, of, of other women, of other people that are part of the same system. Instead of focusing on your own personal achievement, it's like seeing that this isn't working for you or for anyone else. So Lean Back to Me is partially community building. You know, Mm -hmm. it's about like recognizing that a lot of people are working towards a similar goal as you are, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and understanding that they're all facing the same barriers Mm -hmm. that you are. I mean, it doesn't just apply to women, you know? It's a racial issue, it's a class issue. It's a sexuality (laughs) issue. Yes. So lean back to me is like recognizing that you can't participate in a system that is damaging you, but also a whole host of other
0: people. Yeah. I mean, I think lean in is hyper individualist, which I chafe at. And I think for me, lean back is definitely about, you know, solidarity, about how to create a new form of oppositional consciousness that exposes how power works whether it's in the workplace or whether it's in the home or whether it's in politics leaning back to me is resisting models of power that are really regressive that are tokenist or that are assimilationist um, and instead trying to build solidarity among different kinds of people and so i think that leaning back provides opposition to submission, to the submission that I think is inherent in leaning in, leaning forward, Um, and it also, leaning back, I think, provides suspicion about narratives of sameness or assimilationism where you should be just like men or be just like white people or act white or talk white or talk straight or, you know, those sorts of things, and so I think that with leaning back with that, you know, broader perspective on how people are interacting in a given social location, that people can find strength in the differences as well as strength in the similarities. But but when you lean in, everything is myopic. So you lose all of the background. And you can only focus on one thing at a time. You know, it's like having a magnifying glass. You get so close to the object. And then dissect it apart that you can't see all of the other context that's forming, you know, your relationship to that object. And I think leaning back opens up a lot more data to help people make decisions. And I think we're both, you and I are on the same page, that not everybody can lean back all the time because there are constraints that we're all operating under, you know, based on geography and race and gender and class and sexuality and age and... You know, rank and education and a whole host of other identity markers, but knowing how power works helps inform better decision making. It's so important. I mean, that knowledge is the crux of it.
1: Um, you know, there's the theories of uh, false consciousness and cultural hegemony
0: mm-hmm.
1: where there is a, a revolution can't happen because the dominant culture has convinced people that it's that their lives have meaning in a way that supports that dominant culture. Like working 40 hours a week is valorized, 60 hours a week, better, <laughs> 80 hours a week.
0: Yeah. Exactly. You know,
1: that's what it takes sometimes. And that's been valorized and people cling to that kind of thing. You know, they lean into that and it prevents them from seeing, That actually that whole larger structure uh, isn't working for almost everyone
0: well that's why I like thinking about lean back as a provocation and I think the podcast Mm -hmm. is a good medium for provocations because I think the best kinds of of provocations are those that are inspired by critical dialogue by humor and by a, a heavy investment in community building and it's while it's true that that has to happen in workplaces, sometimes it's difficult because of that hegemonic corporate culture and the herd mentality that that we have seen you know in various places that we've worked where it's very difficult to be a provocateur, and the people who do that get punished. but I just want to say that I think leaning in I mean the punishments that you get for leaning in are c- can be as bad as the punishments from being a provocateur so only when you think about them together do they they create a, a more full picture i also think that um the podcast is use is really useful for thinking through leaning back because it's a demonstration of the possibilities of resistance in new media spaces where i think intellectuals can build different kinds of models of relational power you were talking about the thing that you liked About The podcast is building relationships with listeners, which I'm obviously I'm super interested in as somebody who teaches all the time. But I'm also interested in how it will change our relationship, right, as collaborators and uh, as friends as Mm -hmm. we think through the relationship between leaning back and all these other aspects of the culture.
1: Yeah, I kind of, I I've mentioned this to you before, but I kind of see podcasting as an extension or an evolution of zine culture and oh, creating yeah. zines and this type of like self-publishing environment where people are able to share really complex and interesting thoughts, unedited. And I I think that the possibilities in podcasting and what we're talking about, in particular, have a lot of potential to, just as, you know, as zines did, to, like, create communities and... And feminist <sighs> communities in particular. Yes.
0: I mean, you know, the riot girl culture was, in, um, in the Pacific Northwest in the early 90s, was a feminist culture. Absolutely. And an, imp- an incredibly important one, particularly for my generation as a Gen Xer.
1: And women are definitely using podcasts in the most creative and interesting ways. Uh, a huge growth in podcasts in the last year have been about friendship. I mean, even in serial, like part of the appeal of that podcast is Konings, she develops a friendship with the subject of her research. You know, she yes. they have personal conversations.
0: Mm-hmm. It's
1: very intimate. And you, as a listener can almost relate. I mean, and you do relate to her. I, the biggest appeal of it is that she's sharing her uncertainties with you as a listener. And I think there's so much room for intimacy and, I really like how that po- that particular podcast ended because it ends on a note of uncertainty. Like, you don't have to have a right answer. It rejects, like, the perfect ending. Like, the things are tied up neatly. Like, that's not how it works. And that, I think, is liberating to a lot of people. Like, there aren't always right answers. And to me, like, that also ties in with leaning back. Like, realizing that there's not one particular answer to everything. And in fact, yes. like, answers aren't what you should even be striving towards it should be like questions and to me i think this medium is a really good way of just like exploring questions exploring feelings
0: i think about leaning back also as practicing detachment it's sort of in the buddhist sense right detaching from objects that damage us things that that give us false hope or that hurt us You know, psychologically or socially or our health. Um, Things like coercion, surveillance, um, hostility to multiple viewpoints or perspectives, rigid stratification or segregation of gender roles, race or class. I think about leaning back as detachment from the culture of acquisition, that you are what you have, and the more that you have, the better of a person that you are. I think about leaning back as a sort of um, refusal to believe the linear narrative of success, like first you do this, then you do this, and then you're going to get a big pay at the end and all of this social reward, because we know that bad things happen to good people all the time. I think of leaning back as a way of combating uh, alienation and inadequate communication skills. So leaning back sort of demands a higher degree of participation with other speakers and listeners. And it also, I think, it asks for more listening, particularly for people who are in positions of privilege, particularly men or white people or heterosexuals or whatever, I think that leaning back also is about a skepticism of corporate culture and uh, serves to embrace intimacy and empathy as strategies of navigating workforces and other kinds of climates. And it's also rejection of paranoia, you know, the fear that somebody else is going to get one over on you or get more than you or, you know, hurt you later, come and take your job. Leaning back gives you the space to consider how ridiculous and paranoid those ideas are. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I always think about leaning in and um, this is something that Vanessa Garcia we talked about earlier brings up. To me it's like ends up being too much like bowing down. Or like shining the shoes of the people who are creating a damaging situation or you know if you lean in to a company that doesn't support you you end up falling on your face so i think it's important like that concept of detachment when something really isn't good for you it doesn't make sense that's right to accommodate it it makes sense to critique it Mm
0: -hmm.
1: it makes sense to understand that it's creating a lot of negative side effects, Mm -hmm. and it's also important to understand that it's affecting other people besides you. So I like that you said, you know, it's an opportunity to combat alienation.
0: Well, I also like that leaning back inspires disloyalty, and I think it inspires disloyalty to forms of patronage that create massive inequality in the workplace, where leaning in is about being a sycophant or a kiss up, you know, kiss ass or suck up. And getting close to power and assuaging that power and accommodating that power and pleasing that power. Leaning back is about seeing how loyalty to those kinds of forms of power and patronage are really what builds massive social inequality. And it's from social inequality that we get poverty and crime and mental health crises and poor achievement in schools. I mean, it's inequality that causes those things. If you want a more just, more equal culture, then you have to stop being loyal to the institutions that perpetuate that kind of inequality. Leaning back is an expression of that kind of disloyalty. Absolutely.
1: And I also think being disloyal allows you to reconsider the kinds of things that you want to spend your time on. You know, it kind of restructures your time and energy. And leaning back, I think, allows you to think about the multiple possibilities like the possibilities for liberation, the possibilities for intimacy and self care. Allows you to interrogate your situation and yourself, and it's mm. an opportunity to reconsider who you are and what your goals are and how you want to be in the world.
0: Yeah, I think it's a dangerous fantasy. Individualism is a dangerous fantasy where people operate as though they aren't actually in relationship to all these other kinds of people throughout any given day. I think that's really damaging because it allows people to dehumanize others and to put their needs above everybody else's around them, which I think is really devastating, especially in a participatory democracy. Instead, I think leaning back allows us to reconstruct knowledge. The knowledge of the workplace, or the knowledge of the educational facility, or the knowledge of our colleagues and friends and community members in the service of liberation, where we can help to build a stronger culture that benefits us all. I also think that leaning back, because it provides a broader view of the kinds of perspectives that are available on any given idea, encourages collaboration, intentional collaboration, particularly among feminists. And for all that, you know, Sandberg's book has been touted as this sort of feminist tome, there's nothing in it about the solidarity among women, period, let alone women with other people. And in order to build new networks where women and folks of color and queer folks can do more than just survive collaboration has to be a key but you can only collaborate if people are willing to talk and listen together
1: yeah I think it's important to say that leaning back isn't being like detached and disloyal in general no it's removing an attachment to something that isn't important or that's incredibly limiting or actively damaging <laughs> or actively damaging Yes, and replacing that with the broader perspective an expansion of perspective and like knowledge and communication.
0: I mean, I just see it every day in my workplace, all of these 20 and 30 somethings, who are literally working themselves to death. The chronic health problems among mm-hmm. Generation X are tremendous. And it's because, even though there wasn't a name for it, it wasn't called leaning in, that's what they've been encouraged to do. So, in one way, leaning in is just more of the same. Work harder and you'll get ahead. You know, this is a meritocracy and people who work hard are rewarded. That's not true. People who had money to begin with are rewarded. People who have status and privilege and power to begin with and who, you know, inherit money money or gifted money, they get ahead. We we all know people who have worked hard their entire lives and not gotten anywhere, but you were just treading water. And that's not because they didn't work hard enough or they didn't know the right people. That's because the entire idea of leaning in is garbage. It, it has no foundation in reality whatsoever. You're leaning in to be a doormat when you lean into corporate culture like this. You are signing up for abuse and it it, it does there's no guarantee that you're gonna get respect or space for your ideas or promotion or or a pay raise those don't those don't come necessarily because you leaned in and the converse is also true people get rewarded for leaning back all the time provocateurs get rewarded because in cultures in you know organizational cultures where having a diverse set of ideas is valuable you know because yeah. it makes the organizational culture stronger and from a communication perspective my entire f- field is full of organizational communication studies that show how diverse opinions in an organization make a stronger institution make people stronger and happier and also more productive and so you know fr- from a pro- professional perspective, I want to see the collaboration and the diversity of ideas and I want to see us thinking and talking and listening together rather than leaning in so that we can all listen to how power whispers its sweet nothings to us so that we can conform. There is more creative space for us to, to actually embody our potential by leaning back. listening, these materials are not endorsed, approved, sponsored, or provided by, or on behalf of the University of Arkansas-Fayetteville.